one more time. Welcome to the Afternoon Shift. If you haven't heard, WBEZ has made some programming changes, which has brought us to this last Afternoon Shift. What we've tried to do every day during this hour is have a robust conversation about how Chicago lives together, whether that's a lighthearted exchange about how cyclists or drivers act or more serious discussions about how to fix Chicago's biggest problems. So I always start this hour with a question. Today, for our last conversation, we're turning this over to you guys, the listener, and we're asking, what conversations aren't we having had enough of in Chicago? What aren't we talking about? We've got some final guests this hour in studio to answer that, but as always, give us a call. 312-923-9239. 312-923-9239. You can tweet to WBEZ Afternoon. Yesterday, we said we wanted to go out by spreading some love. So let's get the hashtag ShyLove trending in Chicago. Tell us what you love about the city. We're going to read those tweets throughout the last two hours of today's show. I'm Nyla Boodoo, and this is the Afternoon Shift. We're with you till 4 o'clock. Stay tuned. Okay, to kick things off, I want to introduce a few folks who have come back into the studio for WBEZ. Again, the question we're talking about, what conversations aren't we having enough of in Chicago? You can join us, 312-923-9239. You can tweet to WBEZ Afternoon. I want to introduce back to WBEZ so soon, Justin Kaufman, host of The Download on WGN, who's in studio with me. Hey, I'm glad you're back. Ah, yeah. It's great to be back. I haven't been back in the building since I left a couple months ago, and uh, I wish it was under better circumstances. But, you know, I, I've i said this. I said this online. Um, you know, this isn't this isn't my first rodeo. I was one of the creators of the show. and That's I why think you're here. It's something like I think I have a track record of like 11 cancellations, <laughs> like over BEZ history. So it's actually a badge of honor. Uh, you know, it's it's it was a good run, and the afternoon shift did some things that I thought – uh, we're never done in radio before, especially the idea of bringing voices that aren't normally heard, uh, stories that aren't normally talked about, and that was the intention for this. It's not always popular in the way that you're like, oh, you know, it's it's one of the 85 bears. <laughs> well, if you put an 85 bear Listen, on, you'll get a ton of traffic. if the 85 bears are something you think we don't talk enough about, you can call <laughs> us and let us know. But I, I'm really proud of you, and I'm proud of the show, and, I, and uh, it's, been gr- it's been so wonderful to watch you uh, in this job for so long. Thanks so for that, Thanks Justin. for having me back. Yeah, of course. Thanks for being here. Also with us, WBEZ Southside Bureau reporter Natalie Moore is in studio with us. Natalie, thanks for being here, too. Oh, I wouldn't miss this. So All glad right. to be here. And you guys are, we want to make you, everyone who's listening, really part of the conversation today. You guys always know to call. 312-923-9239. You can tweet to WBEZ Afternoon. Natalie, I'm going to ask you, I mean, this is something that you, I mean, as a reporter, you pick, there, and especially your beat as a South Side, and you have other, you know, transportation, food, housing. Those are kind of some of your main issues as a reporter. But when you think about not we're not talking about BEZ. We're talking about the city. Right. We were talking about the suburbs. What people aren't, what aren't people talking about enough what do you think's on that list? I don't think this will be a surprise to most people who listen to my work, but I'm going to say segregation. I do not think that we talk about that enough on the city level or the regional level. It is my belief that this is one of the root causes of our problems of inequity 
in this city and mm-hmm. in this region, why some neighborhoods are thriving, why some look like uh, ghost towns. And until and I, I think the conversation is growing around it. It's not where it should be. And segregation also allows people in, let's say, Wrigleyville or Lincoln Park, the Gold Coast, to be like, what? what's, what's wrong with yeah, the just, city? Just put it under the rug. Right. right. Oh, shootings happen. People but all not know that. Not in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand what it means to have to grocery shop at uh, a gas station. And so those divisions are, are so deep in that doesn't allow for empathy. It doesn't allow for solutions. And yeah, I would I would say segregation. 312-923-9239 to join us. Uh, let's go to Jim downtown. Hey, Jim, welcome to the afternoon shift. Hi, how are you? Hey, what do you want to talk about? Well, we've heard a lot of talk about the pensions and the problems with trying to figure out a way out of them. And I keep hearing, oh, we don't want to go bankrupt. We don't want to be another Detroit. And I really haven't heard any sort of scholarly discussion of, well, why wouldn't we want to enter bankruptcy so that we could negotiate with the pension to uh, figure out how do we go? Yeah, what's the downside of Chicago filing for bankruptcy? That's what you're trying to say, Jim, right? Natalie, I mean, you uh, were a a reporter covering Detroit for a while, and I think that's been a really interesting story, right? Looking at Detroit, looking at how Detroit right now, I think, is going through a really interesting period of revitalization. Yeah, 10 years ago, I was writing, like, you know, going through decades worth of budgets and looking at, you know, their pension obligations and looking at how their workforce hadn't declined despite a huge population um, dip. The problem, you know, I have a problem with the Detroit comparisons because I think it's a racial under, it's a racial undertone. (laughs) We don't want to be that black city. That has trouble. And Detroit is like this national whipping boy. Detroit. So I mean, Detroit is a wonderful city. I had a great time living there and being a reporter. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of human capital that's there. There's I mean, I'm not going to go on and on. I I love Chicago, so I'm not going to talk about how much I love Detroit. But I I do think it is this red herring and it gets particularly people in the suburb like, oh, Detroit, that scary place. So I, I don't like those comparisons. That said, there are lots of cities that are having challenges mm-hmm. with pensions. This is not something that's unique to Illinois or to Chicago. But, you know, Jim, the bankruptcy thing, you know, I think should be talked about. But Chicago just can't file for it. There's, right. there's against all the law. The, right. Yeah. But what we've seen is we've certainly seen Governor Rauner kind of indicate for different parts of the city, particularly the school system, uh, whether or not that might be a good option. I don't, I, you know, bankruptcy is a, a tool that is used for a lot of for-profit companies when they realize they can't make money, when their debts get too high and they realize that I got into this business because I want to make a ton of money and I'm not making enough money, so I'm going to go bankrupt so I can renegotiate and re, uh, sort of deal with my debt. That's, that's the whole – that's the anti – of government. Government is supposed to be a place that's not making money necessarily. It's it's helping us be able to live a civilized society. And if they have to, they have to put money where for transportation, for safety, for you know, for all the things down the line for for uh, the ability to help the the most in need. So the idea that a, that you would apply something that's done in big business and and corporations and for profit to something like government automatically at its philosophical base is wrong. In my opinion. And so I just, I feel like when we I start I like to- WGN Unleashed, Justin Kaufman. <laughs> right. He's sharing what? his opinions freely on the air. This is what great. do you think? You tell me. What do you think? 591.
No, I you know, and I just I've been I've been noticing that more and more about uh, that you know Rauner keeps floating CPS, and and really it's like, what for is the idea to re sort of div- negotiate the pensions? So essentially, you're saying if we could if we could just get to bankruptcy, then we wouldn't have to pay all these people what they're owed. <laughs> you know, and that's a, that's why I don't get what bankruptcy is. This is about people. The government owes this money to people. That's Justin Kaufman, who's now at the download on WGN. I, don't, I can't even get those words out of my mouth, man. And Natalie Moore, who's in studio with us. We're talking about what conversations aren't happening enough in the city. And you can tweet him to WBEZ Afternoon. Uh, you can also give us a call, 312-923-9239. I'm going to get to another caller in a second. But uh, Peter Nikias, Chicago Tribune reporter, frequent guest of the Afternoon Shift, uh, has this. He says he doesn't think we're talking enough about the effect of exposure to violence and intentional injury as a contributing factor to ongoing violence in the city. Justin? Yeah, I mean, he would know, you know, right. Peter, being there on the front line. Right. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, think, that, I think that's a huge Tribune. story. I, I, and I think that plays to race as well. I think that um, segregation, Natalie hit it on the head. I, I don't think we talk enough about it. I think that I, I had uh, Reverend Jackson on the show not too long ago, and he made a great point. He's like, why do people of all races go to watch sporting events? When he's at Wrigley Field, he sees people of all different uh, skin colors and backgrounds watching a baseball game because the game is on an even playing field. Because this is what he said. He said that, you know, because we know the rules. Everyone goes in, and if you win the game, you win the game. And it's not like that in society. And it feels more and more like the playing field is is completely unbalanced towards people of color because of, uh, I don't know, big – I guess – I don't know if it's racism or if it's just big money. And that's where I, I, I have a hard time How human to human How much of it is, like, though, about when you say segregation, right? And I think people just think – people have very – interesting reactions to saying segregation, right? Some people think, I don't want to hear this again. Some people think, what does that mean in 2015 Chicago when we have a black president? You know, is it that people don't, people can't wrap their heads around all of the effects of what's happened in this country? Natalie? Segregation to me is more about the policy. You know, I know people's eyes start to glaze over if you talk about race. Of course, race is involved in when you're talking about segregation, but You know, some neighborhoods experience double segregation. There's income and there's race. Some areas may just be one or the other. But, you know, it's not, I mean, we don't use the word segregation to describe white neighborhoods or white suburbs. We say homogeneous. So Nobody says homogeneous. Homogeneous? No one's ever said that in the history of any any debate. Because they say homogeneous. Even homogeneous. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. This is why sometimes I'm just a writer, so I don't have to mispronounce. Oh, no, I, no, I, don't, I think the yeah, I'm concept. Not, I'm go not ahead. trying to. Yeah. <laughs> but we don't, you know, it, it's about access to capital, power structure. It's not about white people need to be in my neighborhood or rich people need to be in my neighborhood because they're better. But in a capitalistic society, that's where resources come in. And that's what it boils down to. As you say that, Natalie, we have a caller who wants to address that exactly Hey, Abner, on the south side, you want to talk about resources. What in particular? Oh, yeah. I, I, I just want to say that I think uh, I totally agree with uh, the notion that segregation is, is a big issue. But I think if you frame it in terms of, like, job creation or, or things that, yeah, like you say, have to do with the flow of capital and have to do with fairness, that it's, it makes for a more attractive discussion. Mm-hmm. That's all. 
Yeah. Yeah, thanks for that. I Abner. think that's what Reverend Jackson was saying. Is it's, it's not necessarily about segregation or in, even inequality. It's about fairness. It's about why do some schools have more resources than others? Why do some areas have grocery stores? Why do some areas have better transportation options? Just, just, just make it fair. We've got another caller who wants to address this issue of segregation, too. Hey, Mary in Norwich. Welcome Hi. to the Afternoon Shift. Hi. Um, I really like that you've mentioned segregation, but I think we need some very practical, compelling ways to explain and to show people why segregation is damaging, not just from the ethical point of view, but from the economic point of view. All the literature, all the research that is out there shows that when a neighborhood is integrated, everyone does better economically. So inasmuch as um, people are struggling nowadays and there are businesses that are trying to launch, etc., people need to understand that if they want to succeed economically, uh, they have to be able to let other people into their realm because when, let's say, poor people walk by and they see uh, homes or they see shops or they see things that they like, they can eventually be motivated to participate in some of the activities that make those things possible. Yeah, Mary, so, thanks for that comment. I appreciate that. Go ahead. What was your one last thought? It's, 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 people will do better. You'll be economically more successful if you even the playing field. Thanks for that, Mary. Natalie, you want to, anything you wanted to add with that? You know, I think that she, you know, addressed the, it's not just an, an ethical issue, as she said. You look at outcomes with education, with jobs, you know, high unemployment, all of these things play into segregation. And it is about, as Justin was saying, it's, it's about equity and inequity. That's just um, Natalie Moore, Justin Kaufman's in studio with us, uh, 312-923-9239. And you know what? Peter Nikias is on the line, and uh, he wants to talk more about his tweet. So, hey, Peter, welcome to the Afternoon Shift, man. Hello. Hey. Me. Sure. What did you want to elaborate on about, I mean, when you, because this is something you see every day, right? Because you are on, for people who don't know, you used to be on the Overnight Beat. You're a crime reporter for the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, it was just, I mean, you know, you mentioned things that, I think need to be discussed more in the exposure to violence or intentional injury uh, and how it, how it affects the development of children is something that it should be, I don't know, I think it should be centered in the conversation of violence. When and you, and, violence. yeah, Peter, one last question for you. I mean, when you, because you see, you are there every day reporting on this. And when you're saying, especially with children, what do you see that you feel like we aren't talking enough about with kids who were involved in violence every day in the city? I mean, it's not it's not specifically or general not not kids that are involved with violence per se. But I mean, if you're if you have to worry about getting jumped on on your way to school, or mm-hmm. if you're you know if you're watching your mom's boyfriend beat the hell out of your older brother, or if you know if you're walking down the street and gangbangers are asking you what your gang affiliation is, or if police are sliding up next to you because you're 16 years old and saying what's your gang affiliation, I mean that's an incredible amount of tension and stress. I mean, you know, you stand next to crime scenes and kids are twitchy and they're anxious and i mean how are you supposed to focus in school you know when you have that much going on in your life outside of work and it's it's a survival thing that's a great that's a great point thanks for that peter nikias peter peter Peter, it's you know it's those kind of conversations that you know and and not to to change the the subject of of what we're doing but that that's why the afternoon shift to me was always a, a good place for that because we would spin off and talk about what are some of the 
unintended consequences or some of the side effects of what's happening in our city. The headlines of the Chicago Tribune or Chicago Sun-Times will always say this many people were hurt and this many people were killed. But it's what happens to those people who the day after, five days after, five months after, the people who are affected, the people who continue to to have uh, emotional and and mental, almost PTSD from from a, 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 shoot, a random shooting in a, in, a, in a random place that we just hear as a number. And I can definitely tell you psychologists talk about trauma, not just childhood trauma, but trauma in these neighborhoods that's not de- dealt with. And it's not just gun violence that creates trauma. It's other kind of physical abuse, other kinds of violence. And there's... Well, right. What Peter, a lot of what Peter's saying, yeah. too, about interactions with different people that they see around the city, right? Another point uh, Ellen wanted to make on Twitter in terms of it's more than just fairness in terms, I think it's going back to what you were saying earlier, Natalie, marginalized people and communities need more to even reach a level of fairness. We're going to take a break in just a moment, uh, but first it's Friday, and if it wasn't the last day of the afternoon shift, uh, instead of talking about the conversation Chicago needs to have, I love all these calls. Keep them coming. We're going to get to them after the break. We would be doing our Week in Review segment where listeners chime in on the biggest news stories of the week. This 2 o'clock hour of the show is also where we interview authors, especially during our monthly book club. That includes writers as varied as detective novelist Sarah Paretsky to journalist and podcaster Stephen Dubner to former U.S. President Jimmy Carter. Let's take a listen to some of those moments. If they asked me, I could write a book. This is just what I love to do. So really, what is being a writer? Being a writer is walking around, thinking, looking, asking a lot of questions of people who are smarter than me, and trying to find interesting people, processes, stories. I wanted her to be a woman like me and my friends, doing a job that hadn't really existed for women when we were growing up. But showing that women always have been solving their own problems. The best country in this hemisphere, strangely enough, for equality between men and women happens to be Nicaragua. And Nicaragua is eighth in the world, second only to Switzerland and Iceland and the Scandinavian countries. The United States, by the way, ranks 23. So there are 22 countries on earth that have a better chance for women to be treated equally with men. Inside, I still felt like a kid. I didn't feel like this pretty girl with curly hair and high voice. I felt like an 11-year-old invisible girl which from a poor neighborhood. You know, that how can you get more invisible than a girl in a working-class neighborhood in Chicago, a girl of color? I witnessed the dissolution of the old democratic machine. I witnessed the, uh, the, the full... Uh, maturation of the black independent political movement in the city in the form of Harold Washington. I learned a lot about the politics of cities. You always worry when you're writing in a genre that other people are writing in. Ultimately, though, I've found if the idea grabs you and sinks its claws in deeply enough, that's the one you have to write. You know, you can neither chase the genre of the moment nor run from it. Then the world
Welcome back to the Afternoon Shift on WBEZ and WBEZ.org. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Our big conversation this hour is about what conversations you think Chicago needs to be having. What should Chicago be talking about? What underreported stories are not getting the attention they need? In studio with me, WBEZ's Natalie Moore, WGN's Justin Kaufman, and I want to introduce uh, editorial director at Touchavision, Scott Smith, and hip-hop artist, activist, co-founder, and creative director of Donda's House, Che yes. Oscar Smith, yes, yes. Rhyme Fest, Grammy winner. Do, yeah. we, do, you, do we have to list all of your awards, no, too? No, yeah, you no, have to. That's listen. not a contract. That's contract. Golden Globe winner. You wouldn't, it wouldn't end. <laughs> all right. <laughs> We're here, though. Here we are. 312-923-9239 to talk about. We're opening this up to you guys. Whatever you want to talk about, what conversations you think we're not having. Let's go to regular afternoon shift listener, JP in Chatham. Hey, JP, welcome to the afternoon shift. Hey, guys. Hey, thanks for taking my call. First of all, um, hey, um, uh, I really appreciate just the great conversation you guys have been doing all along throughout the whole tenure of the show, and I'm really going to miss you guys. Thanks for that, JP. And um, yeah, my statement is just that uh, I really agree with Natalie that um, – that it's yeah, segregation is a huge issue that we're not fully talking about, and not just the racial, but also economic, and mm. and and really it comes out for me the way I see it, just in perception of people, um, and uh, so that uh, just as an example, um, where I live in Chatham is uh, actually four times safer um, than uh, where I used to live in Uptown on the north side, but yet um, you know white Americans were really and even. Um, uh, uh, people who used to uh, live in Chatham um, will still perceive Uptown as the, the place to be instead of down here. And um, for me, just it, it's really sad because if, pe- if people would actually take a look at um, at, uh, at uh, brown and black areas, they could. Uh, part of it is that they could advocate for our problems, but then also promote and push the positives that are here in the, in the city. And I mean, just in... Just yeah, that JP, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for that. We've got a lot of Southsiders in the room. I want them to chime in, including Scott Smith. Go you ahead, know, Scott. I was listening to what Natalie was saying about segregation, and it's the kind of thing that continues to reinforce itself. And when, uh, you know, JP talks about looking at other neighborhoods and looking and we talk about resources... You know, I live in uh, sort of right on the border between Beverly and Morgan Park. And so there are some really uh, areas that are that are really not affected by crime. And not too far away, there is a lot more crime. And there is this sense that if we, you know, are retasking police officers, let's say, to areas that have more crime, then that means crime is going to increase in Beverly, let's say. And so the question is, well, why don't we have more of those police officers here? Why are they taking police officers away from us is the idea, rather than thinking about the city as a whole and how these neighborhoods, you know, there isn't a checkpoint to go from Beverly to Morgan Park. There isn't a checkpoint to go from Beverly to Washington Heights. You know, these are well, We kind of act like that a little we bit, do. don't we? Well, we well, do. I think the question becomes, too, how do we integrate without displacing? So, for instance, let's look around the country at where this has happened before. The people who traditionally built Harlem and built Brooklyn can't afford to live in Harlem or Brooklyn. So as we talk about integrating Bronzeville or Woodlawn uh, or, or uh, the Austin area, how do we have uh, rent structures in place so that the people who traditionally are from these areas won't be displaced to the south and west suburbs. We want to make sure that uh, the people who are traditionally in these areas are able to enjoy the fruits of resources as people do integrate. You should be trying to replicate what's in those neighborhoods and and not trying to close it off. You shouldn't be trying to close off that access because of that kind of stuff. Is That's going to be the thing that's Or, spreads, or put not people violence. out. 
Yeah, uh, because yeah. you know, and, and and I don't think we're talking because especially I don't think we're just talking race. I think we're mainly talking economics because you will have people uh, of all multicultural uh, backgrounds to move into an area around the University of Chicago, but the, the main people who live there have to move away. In order for it, that you know, there's a, there was a great article in the Reader this week about the 606. Mm-hmm. And about as you go, how it's connecting yeah. different neighborhoods but, but in a way. That, as you right. go west, you know, and Curbed is putting up more and more, you know, sort of one one picture of a house saying this house is on the market now for seven hundred fifty thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Like you're seeing as you go, like because this new park and this thing is connecting some areas that are working class neighborhoods mm-hmm. that haven't had much economy uh, attached to them. Uh, this park is an engine for that, but right away, like within like a second, gentrification is like on the door saying, nope, this isn't for you, this is for somebody else. But it's economic gentrification that's happening as well. I mean, and you also see uh, integration happening in places traditionally we didn't see, like, uh, um, oh gosh, uh, just give me the uh, over Sox Park. Um, Bridgeport. Bridgeport, where you, you have a project housing unit in Bridgeport right now. You you see more people moving from Chinatown further into areas of Bridgeport, uh, Asian community, moving further into Bridgeport, Latino community, that traditionally you never saw. Well, right. Natalie, now Bridgeport is what, when we look at the percentage of Asian, Hispanic yeah, versus it's about, traditional it's, older? It's about 51% right. Latino and Asian, and then 49% white. I mean, I look at Bridgeport as a positive example. Mm-hmm. It's not does not qualify as gentrification. I agree. You do have some new construction that is pretty expensive, but these are people with higher incomes who don't want the small frame houses Mm -hmm. that are in Bridgeport. As a black person, it is unbelievable that I actually hang out in Bridgeport. (laughs) You do not, you were taught, you weren't even taught, you just intuitively knew that. Everyone's heard the stories, right? If you you weren't taught, you were told the stories. So, you know, I think black people are slow to move in. They're not ready for Mm -hmm. that step. But there is other kind of integration. and You see it. And, you know, I know the neighborhood's not perfect, but I, you know, neighborhood change doesn't have to be displacement. And it you don't feel foreign in Bridgeport. No. You feel comfortable. I do. These days. And I think yeah. a lot of people do, which is a surprise mm-hmm. um, to others who, who are from here. That's Natalie Moore. That's Chase Smith. Scott Smith. And... No relation. No relation. <laughs> Those two are not related. I was going to say, this is such a classic brother from another mother moment, yeah. but I, well, I said it anyway. Justin Kaufman <laughs> is in studio with no us relation. as well. No, no relation to these two as well. Listen, this is your hour to talk about what conversations you think we haven't had in Chicago. Uh, Urban Alliance is saying we're not talking enough about youth unemployment, particularly black youth unemployment. We've got other folks on the line we want to go to as well. Let's t- go to Linda in Logan Square. Hey, Linda, what do you want to talk about? Hi. I want to talk about nukes. I want to talk about energy Mm -hmm. policy. I want to ask why we don't get more coverage of the fact that we are not a green city when we're surrounded by over 10,000 tons of radioactive waste. I want to talk about why we don't talk about Exelon as a one-company state and its influence and the leadership of the legislature. Yeah. I mean, so it's a lot of energy. You're talking about energy, nuclear, lots of other things. Justin, you have a comment. I'll take that one because every time I talk about this issue, somebody sends me a ton of emails about how they're mad at me about it. Um, We had the EPA on talking about this. I remember this on the afternoon shift with Dan, I remember. Um, 
when you were out, Nyla, we had one of the EPA people on who was a former uh, Carol Browner, I think it was. And they were mm-hmm. talking about right. how uh, they really wanted to go for a clean energy source. And the, and the clean energy source that's better than coal, that's a better alternative, is nuclear. And they're trying to push nuclear as the new sort of alternative energy source. So almost think about it like solar energy. Mm. And, that, and it's a head scratcher because you're like, well, I thought we already went through the 80s. Didn't mm-hmm. we already go mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. how this is the worst thing possible and fish have three heads and yeah. Chernobyl and everything? That's the old nuclear. Yeah, that's, they would that's say. old nuclear. New nuclear <laughs> is, hey, man, this is just like I mean, we got Birkenstocks Well, but I think on. it gets to you know, enjoy- what Linda was saying and what you know, we got uh, someone on Twitter saying we don't have to talk about having eco-consciousness enough. And the, the, maybe that's the and, broader point. We talked about, you know, it's interesting because this is a political story because it's what, what the caller is referring to is Exelon has, has put a ton of money into uh, sponsoring bills in the state house to actually give a bailout to Exelon for, uh, to be able to run the nuclear plants that are here in Illinois based on the fact that they're the best energy source for Illinois. And there's a lot of people that are against that because they're like, here we go again. Mm-hmm. And I would say, you know, being in this business now 20 years plus, is these, these are cyclical storylines. And it seems to come back around. And every time we sort of, and I think the caller may be right in the sense, it's like, if we don't talk about it. We just kind of let it happen. We mm-hmm. let the, the next thing. And next thing you know, there'll be a, a spill somewhere and we'll go, Oh, man, we all, oh, we got to watch this. You know, and we're not really talking about it when it's actually going on. So this time around, though, there has been some objection and some sort of people down in Springfield, you know, that have been saying no to this. Don't give Exelon a bailout. They are a for-profit energy company, and they're doing more harm than good. I don't necessarily agree with that, but that's where the, the argument is. So they are talking about it, and you're seeing more stories coming out of that. Before we end this conversation— and I want to talk about art. Yeah. I was going to ask Scott and Che, you guys didn't have a chance to say what you don't think we've talked about. We're going to talk about you a little bit more in your art coming mm-hmm. up. So, but I think that the art Scott, is a, a really you... important part of this conversation around segregation and a really important part about gentrification. Look what's happening with Riot Fest right now. I mean, it is now what I, I think a year ago you couldn't imagine it would be you know, a political whipping boy, but it absolutely is now. And everybody's kind of taking their turn with it rather than talking about how art can actually be one of the things that can also drive economics in neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. I've been seeing that with what's happening in Beverly with the Beverly Art Walk and the Beverly Arts Alliance. It is a thing that is having all these different pop-up galleries and these small kinds of things that everybody can participate in that can drive small bits of economic health. Bringing in bands on a small level, finding ways to, and I'm not usually a fan of uh, private-public partnerships, but things like finding ways in which uh, we can make use of our parks in a way that brings both arts and economics into our neighborhood in a healthy way is important, but what we've done is just go the classic where's mine route with Chicago. And so Riot Fest is now being used as a way for people to start like kind of, you know, beating their own particular purpose and, you know, drumming up, well, you know, payoffs Riot Fest, and things Isn't like that. Riot Fest essentially a... Uh I, I, like, it's basically a pitchfork. It's, it's essentially but, saying that we can't really do anything about Lollapalooza, so we're going to take that, it out but, Riot you know, Fest. Even better than Riot Fest is, the, the, is the festival. No, they're not. The, is the festival oh. that we do oh. with Common, which is our fest. Yeah, well, and if when he's we talking talk- about that, then I'm talking about WGN. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Can I get tickets this year? Yeah. All right. so okay. On the air, can you commit to that? So what do you want to say about art? Well, about art is that you know you have the Theaster Gates has the Rebuild Foundation, which is rebuilding communities in an artistic way 
on the south side. Uh, you know, Adonda's house, we just did a partnership where we're bringing Second City to the south and west sides of Chicago, where young uh, black and Latino kids didn't even know what Second City was or who came through Second City. Like, Chicago has a wealth of art that needs to be discovered all over the city and not just on one side of town. We talk about science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM. We need to add an A in our schools we and need put to STEAM. Do the STEAM. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're going to sit good. down. Che, you're going to stick around. I'm going to talk to you a little right. bit more about a documentary you've uh, just done about your dad. Mm-hmm. But I want to thank Justin Kaufman, host of the download on WGN. You can catch him every evening. 7 to 11 o'clock at night. Prime time. <laughs> Scott Smith <laughs> is the time. editorial director at Touch Vision, WBEZ's Southside reporter, Natalie Moore. I appreciate all of you guys coming on the show. We Thanks appreciate you. Thank you. Love you, Nyla. Before we break, enough with all the adults. We wanted to play some of the younger people we've had on the afternoon shift. Hey, Black Chow. Do you know who you are? Who you really are? No matter what it is, if I wanted to write something, then I will take whatever opportunity that I could possibly have. And writing movie critiques is something that you can have your own opinion to. People look at us in a different way. If they see the boys, they think that they're going to do something bad or like steal or just get arrested or they're up to no good. While with me or any other girl, it's different because they think that we're so sweet and innocent. After that speech, underclassmen came up to me and said that they wanted to be like me. That's when I knew, and that's when it all came together, that I couldn't um, be a role model to these younger kids while I was still doing really negative things that I had realized already. The monarch butterflies are like a pretty big deal for some people and like Brian said in the Latino community because it's it represents who they are. Specifically, I think it's really important that Chicago youth become motivated because oftentimes Chicago youth become uh, slandered by this idea of gang violence. We often joke about being called Chirac because gang violence steals so many lives of teens. But I think we often forget to talk about the silent killer of climate change. for tuning in to the Afternoon Shift on WBEZ and WBEZ.org. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Chicago hip-hop artist Che Rhymefest-Smith has been with us this hour. Chicago and the music world know you for being a hip-hop artist and activist. You know, they know all of your, as we were li- we were joking about the <laughs> awards that you've had before. Uh, he's also the creative director of Donda's House, but now he's also the subject of his own film, and that's what we're going to talk about right now. So, In My Father's House premiered at Tribeca Film Festival it in did, March. It did very well. What? Tell us, first of all, why you decided to be the subject of a film. Well, I didn't decide to be the subject. My life is art, so my life is kind of an open book. And, you know, I moved into a house that was owned or, or lived in by the father that I never knew. And so... 
when I moved into this home, I was uncomfortable. I couldn't sleep. And my wife said to me, why don't you just go find your father? And I started this journey where I started to record footage of me looking for my father. Well, when I found him, he was homeless, had been homeless for 28 years. How did you find him? Uh, Well, anytime you're looking for uh, one of your parents, the first place you start is with the other parent. A baby mama always knows how to find a father. Like, and did so your mom know? My mom said, well, I know his brother's on Facebook. From the brother, we got to a family friend. The family friend said, your father's been homeless for 30 years. And did you know that? I didn't know. And so uh, I, I met my father for the first time at the library. We have it in the film. And he knew I was Rhymefest. So although I knew nothing of him... He knew everything about me. He knew about my run for office. He had been following me, and no one believed him when he told people I was his son. And so uh, the film basically, it it was taken over and recorded, uh, uh, directed by Ricky Stern and Annie Sundberg of Breakthrough Films, who directed uh, the uh, Joan Rivers documentary. They directed a a film called uh, A Curveball. they're Emmy nominated, so, so they they did, came in and directed the rest of the film. And what did I mean? What did you want it to say? Well, I just wanted I I didn't I didn't have a direction of what I wanted the film to say. All I wanted to do was reconcile with my father, find out who I was through knowing where I was from, and be comfortable in this home that I bought that was his family's legacy that I never knew. And how long do you think, I mean, how did you And then I found point? my father was an alcoholic. Right. And then we dealt with alcoholism within the film, which was a whole other thing that I'd never dealt with an alcoholic before. That was the reason he was homeless, uh, was because of his alcoholism. And so, you know, what happens in the film, without giving it away, is I essentially become the father of my father. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and even within that, I'm dealing with my own parenthood, with my own children. I'm dealing with my own career as an artist. And uh, this is before we wrote Glory and, you know, all of this. So I'm dealing with how do I get my own musical career back on track as I help young people who need fathers. And how would that, when you were in that period of your life, how was it reflected in the rest of your art? How how did that Mm. come out in your music? Well, I would say how not having a father came out in my music is you see me writing music for artists who had parents. So you see me writing music for Kanye, writing music with and for Common, and, you know, kind of hiding behind the scenes yeah, of the Yeah, I mean, in terms industry. of finding your own voice. In, in terms of, until I found my father, I didn't have a voice. So I was hiding behind other people with voices. And that's one thing that I look at all of my peers in Chicago hip-hop, whether it's Lupe, Common, Kanye, they had mothers and fathers that helped give them that voice. And so even when you look at other artists like a Chief Keef or even a Ryan Fitz, one of the things you find is that, you know, th- there's pieces of us missing. And so in, in Donda's House, our, our program, what we try to do is help give a safe space and a voice to a lot of voiceless artists. And how do you... I, that's the question because there's so many children out there who are in the same situation with you mm-hmm. uh, that you were in, not having having just one parent. Mm-hmm. How how do we go about giving those kids a voice? Well, first of all, I think the young artists can't be afraid to tell their truth, right? So you have to say, 
I don't have this parent. This is how it makes me feel. I'm vulnerable. I'm fragile. Once young people are able to tell their truth and not just try to get famous or try to get validated through TV or radio, I think then we can give them what they need from the truth we ascertain from them. Do you think that has to be done at an individual level? Do you think that has to be done through programs like Donda's House? Is there a way that sort of people who, is there a way society Mm. can help make this better? Yes, I think societies can help make it better by supporting, if we're not going to give money to schools to have art programs or to have things like that, then we, yes, support Donda's House, support, you know, what the Astor Gates is doing uh, in his art community, support, you know, uh, um, uh, Clio Center and in, in places that are taking youth in and, and rejuvenating them. In my father's house, as I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, premiered at Tribeca in March. When is it coming to Chicago? Is it, it coming? It will be at the Chicago Film Festival in October. We already got picked up by AMC Theaters and Showtime. We'll be running it for about three years. Uh, you know, people, if you want more information, go to inmyfathershousefilms.com. For more information and where it's showing next, uh, next week I'll be in New York at the African American Film Festival. We're going to be filming, showing in Martha's Vineyard and in uh, Nantucket. All over the country. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is Che Reinfest-Smith for coming on the show one last time. Thanks for being here. Thank you for all of your years of service and for making an artist like me not so scary to Chicago. Thank you, Nyla. Thanks, Che. Uh, All this hour we've been celebrating the afternoon shift. The show has had several hosts. Here they are. Live from the state that does Casimir Pulaski Day better than any other state in the nation, this is the Afternoon Shift. I have to see a great deal more from Rahm Emanuel. I love this city. This is the only place I've ever lived. Girlfriend's a a kindergarten teacher on the southwest side in a public school. I want this city to succeed, but I need to see a great deal more after this election. I need to see him bring people to the table. Welcome to the Afternoon Shift. I'm Nyla Boodoo. I've been the business reporter here at WBEZ for a year or so, and I'm filling in this month for the Afternoon Shift. Excited to be here. Thanks for listening. Uh, We've got a full show ahead of us. As you just heard, uh, we've got our big story coming up that we're going to talk about, Senator Mark Kirk. You know, one thing a lot of people don't know about the afternoon shift is we actually, before we started the show, had a a clear idea of what we wanted the show to be, but a totally unclear idea of actually how to do it, to do two hours live with a completely different production structure than it existed previously. We didn't know exactly who was going to be on the show, who's going to be staffing the show, what the workday would look like, none of that, with even just like a few days left before the show was going to be on air. Uh, It was enormously stressful, so much so that I started to break out a bit. Like I looked like a 13-year-old with a massive acne outbreak, and I thought, wow, that's weird. My wife, after a few days, says, that's not acne, Steve. That's shingles. And I thought she was lying, but it turns out I went to the doctor. I said, my wife is kind of crazy. She thinks I might have shingles. I think it's just something else going on. And he looks at me and he says, I think your wife is right. So my baptism by fire before I launched the first episode of The Afternoon Shift was 
catching a case of shingles brought on by the stress of the show. Thankfully, everything thereafter was much, much easier, much more pleasurable. So hats off to the entire team that made my run and, and all of those years listening since so pleasurable. This was a special, special thing in the media. It allowed people, I think, for two hours every weekday to learn something about the place they lived. My tenure there uh, between Steve and Nyla was a joy. And I learned things as host of the show. I met people in Chicago who I felt and continue to feel are important to Chicago. I think it went a great way to starting conversations that need to take place in this town. There is too much texting. There is too much Twitter. There is too much people looking right through each other on the streets and not talking. My hope is that the afternoon shift will be remembered for doing that, for introducing people to this place we call Chicago in its many fascinating and sometimes disturbing facets and for starting conversations that need to be started. That was interim afternoon shift host Rick Kogan, our founding host Steve Edwards. You know, just like Rick said, at the heart of the mission of public radio is giving a voice to people you wouldn't otherwise be able to hear to bring you stories of people you cannot or won't meet. And I'm very proud that we've been able to do that on the afternoon shift. That is what I love about this job. And I'm so grateful that I've been able to do that with you guys every single day. And as we've seen, especially in the past two days, I am overwhelmed by the community that we've built here. And I am so grateful for the incredible thoughtful, vital conversations that have happened here. Thank you for not just listening, but for responding. And I hope that as always is our goal at WBEZ, what happens on air here sparks conversations of your own. Thanks for listening, Chicago. And one last time, Vocalo DJ uh, Jesse De La Pena has put together one final special mix for you, Afternoon Shift listeners. Here you go. We're going to dance. Let the tigress loose. <laughs> Let's go see.